is going on, people? What's happening? It's Trent McClellan with another episode of the Generators Podcast, uh, recording this introduction from beautiful Calgary, Alberta. The weather has been amazing the last, uh, I don't know, five, six days, like mid to high 20s. I think it's like 30 today. Clear blue sky. I mean, this is just, it's what you waited for. All year, you wait for these days, and uh, people are out frolicking, if you will, frolicking in the summer heat, and then you realize that, uh, you know what, summer's half over, and, uh, you know, we're into August this week. But anyway, regardless, I'll take the great weather. I'm glad uh, to finally get out. I'll tell you what I did this past weekend. Uh, got me to the Rocky Mountains. And one of the benefits of living in Calgary, Alberta, is that within an hour, you are at the base of the beautiful and majestic Rocky Mountains. And uh, it was absolutely beautiful. I went to Moraine Lake, which is kind of on the way to Lake Louise. So, um, I don't know, maybe an hour, maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes past Canmore. And uh, another one of these beautiful emerald green lakes that look fake. You see photographs of it, you're like, all right, someone's got some of those, one of those dumb filters on there, and it's you know, but it's it's it looks surreal when you're looking at this thing in person. Just standing at the base of a lake, rented a canoe, went out and paddled around for an hour on this canoe on this beautiful glacial lake that's like aqua blue, green in color. It's insane. If people have never been, check out that whole area. Banff, Canmore, Lake Louise, Moraine Lake. Unbelievable. Felt so relaxed. No stress. It wasn't overly crowded with people at Moraine Lake, especially. And, um, yeah, just exactly what I needed, you know. Weather was amazing. And, uh, yeah, get out there if you can. Because it is, you know, especially with all the stuff going on, people are feeling stressed, and anxious, and we don't know what's going to happen, and are we going backwards, and all this stuff. You know, just getting back in the nature is such a, is such a great thing, and it felt, it felt, uh, you, you do, you feel reset, you feel good again, you feel like everything's going to be okay, you know? And out there, you almost feel like that stuff doesn't matter in some way. You're looking at the, standing there at the base of a snow-capped mountain, looking up at it, it's like... You know, you're just in the moment. So uh, finding a way to be in a good moment these days is pretty important. So grateful to get out there and I get back to Calgary, of course, and the weather is uh, continuing on. People, it's beautiful out. I'm looking out the window right now. People are like floating down the Bow River, uh, out biking, skateboarding, you know, and uh, make the most of it. Make the most of the summer before the fall comes. All right, time to set up this episode. My guest uh, this week is my good friend, Ali Hassan. I have not talked to in quite some time. And uh, Ali is a, uh, is a comedian, a host of Laugh Out Loud on CBC Radio. He is also a guest host for uh, Q on CBC Radio, fills in from, for Tom Power from time to time, and does a great job uh, as a host of those things. Also is the host of Canada Reads on CBC. This guy just, you know, what, what kind of hat you want him to wear. He's also... A hilarious stand-up comedian that had his own one-man show um, 
that he took around the country, was just on a massive tour with Just for Laughs in 2019 as well with Rick Mercer and company. I mean, uh, the guy's, you know, what's this guy not doing? He's also an amazing chef on top of that. I mean, it's actually quite sickening. He's probably a good dad, probably a great husband. You know what I mean? I just, all right, enough, okay? Let's, let's simmer down now. Let's leave some stuff for other people to be talented at. Why you got to wear all the hats, Ali Hassan, huh? But he's a good guy. He's a really good buddy of mine and uh, lives in, in Toronto these days. And uh, like I said, it's always great to catch up with him. Whenever we're in town together, we always try and, and, um, and make it a point to get together. And uh, I always value uh, spending time with him and hanging out and, and catching up as well. So this, this episode really was just a selfish way for me, to, for me to just catch up with a good friend and let you guys listen in on it. So I uh, hope you enjoy this episode uh, with my good friend Ali Hassan. What people is that, is that what you want the world to know? Do we just start with a lie? I, I like we full transparency. with a lie. I like full transparency, Ali. Same, same. And uh, what people at home don't know is they miss two old men trying to figure out technology and yelling at their laptops. What's that now? <laughs> it was very bad. It was very, very embarrassing. The VCR was blinking 12 for about 20 minutes, and neither one of us had any idea on how to, uh, how are you, my friend? What's going on? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm happy that the old reset button still works. Just kill it. Yeah. Reset, start over, still works. Once that stops working, we got nothing. We got nothing, nothing to offer the world. I don't, not in a, contact. I don't own a tool. I don't own a toolbox. I don't have a no. hammer here. I have nothing with which to fix anything. It's literally turn it off, turn it back on. I got nothing. That's it. Yeah. That's all I got. Are you are you a handy guy for real though? Is there any? No. no. I'm the, okay. I'm the, I'm the worst. I'm uh, I'm possibly worse. Uh, the worst part comes that I'm you know with my hands I create a food. I was a chef for 15 years and like kitchen is my 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 happy place. It's a creative space for me. And these same hands try to hang a painting and then ah, how did the, the nail went oh i lost the nail there's no i just had it and now it's through the wall even though i heard a stud but i guess that wasn't a it, I, I well i i don't know did you struggle with the whole i did i think i struggled with the whole masculine concept of like you know a man's got to build things and a man owns power tools and he cuts wood and he builds a patio deck and he and I and after a while I get to a point maybe about six seven years ago I went yeah this uh, that's not me and I admire folks who can do it I go on stage and tell jokes in front of a thousand people I don't a lot of people think, can't do that I don't think less of the guy who can't do it so it's like why but for a long time man, I think I was trying to like I need to learn more about this stuff and I realized it's just not something that interests me I don't care no and I'm I'm with you on that I think I go through waves where somebody will make me feel insecure about it. One, one time, a few years ago, there was a crazy windstorm in Toronto and a branch blows off uh, my, my in-law's tree through my back, win the rear window of the car. Same thing happens to the in-law's neighbors. So I come back, I'm on the road. So I call, there's a guy, Frank, he's a guy and he comes, you tell him what car you have and he brings your, your window and he installs it somewhere. 
So we went back to my building in the garage and I tell the neighbor who I don't know, I know that he's got about a grade eight education and he's from North Bay, Ontario. That's all I know about this guy. Um, nice guy, but like not, we're not going to discuss much. I don't think, uh, you know, (laughs) so he comes, follows me into my garage and we're just waiting and I go, yeah, I'm going to, I'll do it at first. If you don't mind, then you can have your, your, you know, spend as long as you want in the garage. And I go, I actually have to go and get my battery replaced. He goes, just replace it yourself. I go, man, it's a car battery. I don't know much about cars, to be honest. And he goes, you ever heard of YouTube? Made me feel like the biggest piece of turd. (laughs) And so, you know what? I watched three YouTube videos over and over and over. And I tell my wife, I'm going to do it. My wife is standing like 25 feet behind the car while I'm changing the battery. And I watched the video over and over again. Some guy reminded me of Hal Johnson from Body Break. I was like, this is the guy that I want it. I can, I like this guy. I'm like, he's going to go. And then I do it, start up the car and it works. And that night my wife and I opened up a tequila bottle we bought in Mexico that we were going to maybe save for like my daughter's graduation. We were like, that's how shit I am that we opened a bottle of tequila. My wife goes, screw it. I don't care that it was a hundred bucks in Mexico. We got another thing in seven years when our daughter graduates. This is one of the greatest moments of our collective lives for the love of yeah. God. You're calling relatives like, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I replaced you the battery. <laughs> Dude, I did the same thing. It's like I replaced my car battery and I felt like, all right, where the projects are around here. We, yeah. The ceiling's got to come out of it. All right, let me see if I can. It's like, all right, Trent, let's just stay in your lane there. You replaced the car battery, my friend. You're not, uh, I'm not going to open up a garage tomorrow and, you know, Trent McClellan's auto parts. <laughs> but I, I love that you've done it, man. I love that you've done it and you, you also recognize yourself as not handy. It's a big moment. It's a big moment in the lives of guys like you and me. Well, a good friend of mine brought up the fact that we get shamed by this. Like, I think women often get shamed about, you know, either not being married or not having children. And quite often other men will shame men about not being handy. And he gave the example of you go to a Home Depot or one of these home hardware stores. And quite often the staff are carrying that around, you know, it's like, what are you here for? You're like, I need a thing for the, the th- I don't know what it's called or whatever. Like, a nail, sir. You need a nail, I guess. I don't know the terminology. I'm hey, like, Frank, he, he wants one of them <laughs> nails. I know. Anyway, come with me. Anyway, and he's like, you know, you're already, you already feel small and insecure. <laughs> and it's just, whereas I'm like, there's some guy out there or woman who knows how to do this. I'm going to pay them to come and do that thing. Yeah. And everyone's happy. They get money. They feel good about them. The job I need that I need it done is done. You're employing someone as well, right? You're helping the economy. Putting money back in the economy. Yeah. I'm not injured in any way. I haven't burned a home down. Critical. everyone's alive and Critical. i think that's a that's a good thing um how you been buddy with this whole crazy world going on where's where's Ali well, sound in the big scheme what, of things what's going on i'm not quite oh, sure what just you're... with the scandal the trudeau thing and i know that oh yeah shaking that's you to the core and uh, by far the worst thing that's happened in my lifetime yeah You've been on the floor about this, I know, really. The, the problem with Trudeau is sometimes you got to go, which scandal specifically? Yeah. Which, what's today? Back. What's today? What's happening? <laughs> uh, it's going to be like combinations of scandals. 
he yeah. was in brownface at a Wii charity event. Oh, he dumped, he did the two. Oh God. How do we fix that? How does that get sorted? That's who's, do I handle both or I've got to, I'm going to clean up both these. Yeah. We need you to clean up both. Um, Cause I was talking to other people on the pod and I was like, like the first couple of weeks of, of um, you know, the COVID lockdown, man, I was like, I don't know. I was in a weird place, man. I was like, just wrapped 22 had to stop this tour I had planned for yeah. 23 shows and had four shows had to cancel the rest. And I go back and I was kind of just, Oh, I'll just enjoy this rest and unplug. But then I was like, man, what happens? Did you, but I, what I've realized in talking to people is it hits people at different times. It's yeah. almost like when someone dies, you people mourn in different ways and process it in different times. How have Absolutely. you, how have you been doing with that? And I, I was listening to your, uh, your chat. I was on, I was in Montreal and I was listening to your and Nathan McIntosh's chat and both of you are buddies of mine. And it was really like having the two of you in the room with me. But every time I spoke, you just ignore me. <laughs> right guys. I don't, oh, okay. Yeah. No, so they're, so I'm just, not in. So, so just like real, just like it was just really like, like real. You were there. Just like real. So <laughs> the three of us sharing a condo. I got it. I don't, but, but, I was, I have feelings. No, it was great talking to you and also at, at some level therapeutic just to hear my buddies going through the same thing, guys who I haven't been able to, to, you know, you also don't want to be that guy who's like, hey, bud, just wanted to check up on you. Hey, bud, just wanted to check up on you. You know, everyone's yeah. going through their own thing and I, I like to reach out here and there, but yeah, I, you know, like much like yourself, I just watched things, the May stuff got pushed to October, the fall stuff got pushed to January the January 2021 stuff got, and I was like, you know, you just start like, I, okay, I was working on this show, so I can't do this. I can't do this. And then this, like, who am I? Right. This is like my daughter. I watched my daughter go through this. My daughter is my eldest is a student, a good student. Her identity is defined by school. And around May, she was like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And she right. didn't say it jokingly. She was like, and I was like, I don't want to worry my children, but I was like, God damn, can I relate to that? I don't really know who I am because if I'm not this, then what am I? Now I have something different as you know, I, I, I do fill in work at the CBC and I host a show called laugh out loud, but that, that doesn't come without its own, uh, uh, you know, um, ills or whatever you want to call it because laugh out loud is a show that tours around the country records comedians and then we play it. So now we were trying to figure out, will Laugh Out Loud come back? So I may not have a job at the C, you know, so there's all this, this, and this, and you just sort of like, you hold on and you just go, let's ride, baby. And then the roller coaster's going up and down and you go, you know, like, I was really trying to focus on the positive. Uh, for us, the positive in particular is, um, I do make a little bit of money from a variety of things. So there is a little bit and I can pay my mortgage. Right. My landlord is my father-in-law. Wow. Let's say I can't pay my mortgage. I have the option to be like, hey, dad, come on. You know, you know I was a fuck up when you got me into this thing. Come on, right? <laughs> you know what you're getting into. You know what you're getting into. You let your daughter marry a comedian? You let your daughter marry a comedian and this is on me somehow? You let this happen. You no, took, hoping... It took this long for me to miss a payment? You're coming at me? <laughs> it's 2020. This should have happened years ago. You know what you Five have. years of payments. This is a miracle. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I totally get you. And I had that same feeling of loss of identity where you kind of go, if I'm not this, then what am I? And you got to kind of sit in that for a little bit and kind of go, 
take away the jobs, take away those things you've attached yourself to for such a long time. And you're left with just who you are as a person, which is <laughs> stripped oh. to the bare bones, man. Yeah. There's this and uh, Oh, that thought, I didn't know that was in there. And uh, Ooh, a little insecurity about that thing. I huh? like, I think everyone's gone through that a little while. Well, what has happened, I think is that we've quieted all the noise. And when you quiet all the noise and all the demands for your time, you know, you do have to sit still in your own self and be, yeah. you know, and ponder things and past decisions. And what if there is no future as you thought it would be, you know, and that's, that is terrifying for a lot of people. Well, it's interesting, your choice of words, we've quieted the noise because that was some of the positive that I was really holding on to at first, because uh, we, we live by the 401. And there's a constant dull hum of the 401 at any time. Sometimes you can hear a truck, like, oh, you just hear some screeching tires in the distance, uh, horns blaring in the distance. It's not too, too near, but, it's, but we also live right by the airport. So depending on the day, I think they shift the patterns like week to week of where the planes take off. First, they'll head west and then like turn, go wherever, then the northwest. You know, I think they do. Yeah. But some weeks are like, we got to, if you're outside, we got to stop talking, let the plane go and then restart talking. Right. So the quiet of the skies and the quiet of the 401, I was spending a lot of time outside and just being like, this is great. But then after this is great comes, ah, so this is it, huh? Because now and again, we're left with what you just talked, the bare bones. And now it's just your thoughts in your mind. And you start, you know, if you don't, if you don't check yourself, you could start catastrophizing in your mind a little bit and be like, okay, like logistically, I guess I could move two of my kids to the in-laws because they're good. And then the other two, I don't know, they live on the streets and that, that'll be fine. And I, maybe I'll just make enough money for my wife and I, you start thinking insane thoughts. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. In general, man, I really, I'm happy I get to be, I, I'm happy I'm able to stay pretty positive. Yeah. Like I've always been a positive guy when I had nothing going on, like zero, I'd be like, this is all going to work out. Yeah. And most people objectively would be like, I'm not sure where you see that, but I'm not yeah. sure where you look at all this and see this. You know, like before I got in, in, in um, 2012, I was the, I, I got this job as the lead panelist on the George Strombolopoulos tonight show and God bless George and all that, that total experience. That's sort of, led me to where I am. That was the start of it all. I had just moved to Toronto, 2010, get married. Um, I'm in three films in 2020, in 2010. And I'm like, I'm, I'm an actor now, dude. Barely yeah. got to do comedy. Maybe don't even have to do comedy. Really, Acting is where it was from the beginning. I didn't recognize this in myself. I'm actually an actor. Anyway, do three movies. Nothing changes. Nobody calls me for any more movies. Hardly get any auditions. I'm like, I got to wait for the movies to come out. When they come yeah. out, that's yeah, when yeah. movies come out, nothing. And I was like, God damn it. I got to go back to comedy. I got to figure. And I really dug in and I was like, no matter what happens in my life, I'm never going to let weeks and months go by of no comedy. Yeah. This is my, this is my, my, my anchor, you know? Um, but really wasn't getting paid a lot in 2011 before the Strombo show. I wasn't getting a lot, but I had this attitude of like, honey, everything's going to be okay. And she's like, uh, we have three onions and a bottle of mustard in the in the fridge right now. Everything's going to be like this. I don't know. This just blind faith in myself. I've always had it. And 
when you look back, you're like, what was I even confident about? What if I hadn't gotten George? Like, who knows? Yeah. Um, but so I'm just reaching back into my roots of blind confidence and faith. It's going to be good. No, I know. I, dude, it's funny you say that because I, I thought about my own career and about how many times it's just, you know, you looked around, you looked at your bank accounts, you looked at the calendar ahead of you and you're like, where, where, where am I getting this hope? Where, 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 I don't see anything, but you just, there's an innate thing, I think, in people like us that just keeps your feet moving. Totally. And thinking that the next email that comes in, the next, oh, out of the blue, and it always seems to work out. And it's like, I can't, I don't know how you teach that. Like, but I think no, and we, it comes down to a love of what you do. And so you just have that forward thinking momentum instilled in you all the time. But it comes totally. from loving what you're doing. But, but you and I would have both met people in our life who have a blind confidence and nothing's going well for them. And you're really not sure why they have it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. And they love what they do. But objectively you look at them and like well you love it and that's great but you're not what we would call objectively good at this so right. i'm not sure so then you you also have that where you're like am i thinking i'm better than i am am i do i have faith am i like that guy yeah. who's like everything's going to be cool i'm going to be an actor like so you worry about that for sure too sometimes that you're like you're one of those guys. Delusion, yeah. You're like, am I living in the dream world here and no one has the heart to tell me? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, exactly. Trying to, can, I, can I see you for a second? Yeah. <laughs> Is this a thing you're looking to do? Hey, you Trent, okay. you know, uh, Trent, you know, you ever met somebody who's got like a big booger right here, but nobody tells them? Yeah. Uh huh. That booger is your career. You get what I'm saying? Anyway, beat it. Don't come back. Wow. What? Wow. Wow. That <laughs> That really hurt, Uncle Brad. Um, I no, yeah. I know what you mean, man. It's like, so tell folks, you originally were like, was it the food world? You were going to be a chef, right? You went down that road of like, food's going to be your life. This is what you're going to do. How do you make that Speaking transition? Speaking of blind faith. Speaking of blind right. faith, that was another thing. You know, I just watched the Food Network and my passion for food started very early on. My dad had a heart attack at age 50, not a heart attack, he had angina at age 50. And then the family went like almost no salt, no oil uh, and no flavor. There's still ways to flavor food, but they were like, even that, even that's too dangerous. Let's not get... But lemon juice? No, let's take it easy. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Lemon juice. All of a sudden, like from a like a family that made pretty good food, it was pretty bland. And I'd go to friends' houses and I'd feel embarrassed. I'm like, oh man, my parents used to make chicken like this. It doesn't taste like this anymore. Right. I don't know. My dad would like a, a a sharp paring knife, just every like microgram of fat getting it off the chicken bone. I'm like, I mean, I don't know. Is that necessary? <laughs> Ridiculous. So one, I was yearning for like food of days gone by. Two, I was just a, a fatso in general who liked food. Three, I was very rude to my mother. I think in the ninth grade, I was sick of her sandwiches. God bless this woman, you know, 50 hours a week, making me a sandwich the night before. And I was, the, the sandwich was white bread. Craft single, tomato slice, mayo wrapped in foil. You know what a tomato does to white bread overnight, Trent? I bet you do, buddy. Not good. <laughs> I can, I can you visualize can imagine. it. I can but, visualize it. 
put some like salad greens in there to give a buffer. Never, no buffer. So anyway, that I, and you know, I'm eating, uh, I'm eating like a soggy sandwich every day. And then I've got buddies whose moms are the housewives and my buddy Zach used to, this is the chips. This is the pickles. This is a corned beef sandwich. I'm like, corned beef? I don't even know what corned beef is. <laughs> what other delicacies are out there that I'm not being told about because this goddamn <laughs> soggy tomato sauce. So I told my mother, I think it was the ninth grade ago, your sandwiches taste like shit. And my mother does not, nor, nor should she tolerate that, but she'd not tolerate that language. She didn't, and she holds a grudge and she goes, you can make your own sandwiches. How about that? that? Make that your own it. sandwich. Total, like calm, not even angry with me. I was like, ah, oh, this is not good. <laughs> what have I up. done? I just screwed up. I don't up. know. I got, I got a repertoire of peanut butter, uh, jelly, peanut butter and jelly. What else do I got? Uh, so yeah. then I started like on the weekends, I would make an omelet or something. I'd be like, okay, I can make an omelet sandwich. So then, you know, by grade 10, grade 11, sometimes I'd have like my dad's boursin cheese, like that, that French garlicky cheese on some nice bread and then a, a black olive omelet, you know, and I'd be like, oh, this is not bad, but then you got to do it every day. That's the only yeah, problem. Yeah. So you were, but it's funny cause I, I don't know if I ever looked at food as being a creative endeavor, but then you realize like, that's exactly what it is. Like just experimenting what works with what I like this. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. What did I learn from the last time I made that thing and how do I tweak it for next time? And you can take a base recipe and then add to that and put your own little touch on it. I always thought of food as just like, Oh, you, you put stuff in a pan or a bowl, you mix it and cook it, whatever you eat it. It tastes good. I never looked sure. at it as a creative endeavor until a bunch of years ago where I was like, yeah, those people are like generating something from nothing and being inventive and taking chances. And I have some buddies in the restaurant industry and I, and now I go, my God, that's like wearing multiple hats, the creator hat, but also the business side on top of that, you know, like yeah, there's yeah, so yeah, many yeah. balls they're juggling. Although um, like comedians, you will also meet chefs who are like, dude, I just like making a pasta from scratch. I didn't realize I was going to have to do inventory and costing and pricing and menu writing and all that. Right. What the fuck is all this? I just want to get here and tell my jokes. You know, it's like we have, we know people who go through that. So it is again, like, like so many industries, it is wearing a lot of hats, especially the guys who run their own shows. No doubt about it. And so you, if I'm. So then anyway, yeah, a, a, a love for food. Uh, from the beginning. And then even when I start, we start going to like cottages and um, ski trips when I was in university, one of my buddies said to me like a few years ago, he goes, I don't, I don't understand how we would have eaten on our ski trips. If you didn't cook, like what other options did we really, cause we would arrive at the place and then like three friends would be like, okay, man, what do we need? And I'd be like, okay, get some ground beef, get it like medium ground beef, then get this, get this. Cause I knew I'd make a chili this day, like simple stuff, not crazy, but I'll make a chili this day. Uh, then the next day we'll have leftovers of that chili with nachos. So bring some nachos and I'll make a pasta, bring some carrots and some eggplant. Like it wasn't crazy, crazy at all, but I was able to visualize a menu and how are we going to eat? And it's cold out. So let's eat some like, you know, stick to the ribs type of food. And so that was always there. And then I'm in my twenties and, you know, pretty disgruntled with that poli side degree that I have. And, um, I, don't, I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, man, I love cooking. Why not turn this into something uh, greater, you know? And then I go, uh, mom, I think I want to be a chef. And in, 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 in Urdu, Pakistan's uh, national language, he goes, uh, don't talk shit. All right. Don't talk bullshit. Like, come on. 
what are we, what are you fucking losers here? No, come on. Can, you know, like we, we paid for your education at McGill. You come from a family of academics, a chef, really? Anyway, get that's the fuck a, out of here. Like she was a, not. That's enough. That's enough. Didn't, that's enough. It was a 100% that's enough. Not entertaining it for a split second. I was like, all right, so that's not going to happen. So then I, uh, you know, I, I took a look around. And by the way, for folks listening, this is the worst way to plan your life. I took a look around. I go, who are my dumb friends who are doing well? Okay. My buddy Deep, that guy's an idiot. But he's an IT consultant. This guy, he's kind of like mostly says some pretty dumb stuff. He's an IT consultant. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'll just be an IT consultant. Right. What a horrific this i was the world's worst it consultant no passion no interest no ability like everything zero the venn diagram is just three separate circles they never even come anywhere close to each so other so you you were the it guy going uh, have you turned it off yeah just turn it back on that's all i got i uh, out I of gotta, ideas fresh gotta, out of ideas if you've done that i gotta go to lunch i, I don't tell you <laughs> your power bar is it plugged in you plug. I got nothing else in the binder here, but uh, in the binder, I like that I had to look in a binder yeah. for power bar. That wasn't even top of head. On, uh, yeah, have we asked that one? We have, um, <laughs> dude. I, I think, I think when you're at that age, too, like following the crowd is pretty. Like I think it's, and I've talked about this before. I think it's insanely unrealistic for a kid, even at 16, 17, to know what they want to do with their life with no world life experience, no, yeah. haven't done anything, may have had a handful of summer jobs or a part-time job in customer service. And we're asking them to like sign on the dotted line for thousands and thousands Future. of dollars to know what it is you want to yeah. do. And I'm like, that's completely unrealistic, but that pressure is always there. And then as it's you said, there. you started looking around over the fence at friends and family members and that guy seems to have his stuff figured out and she seems to know what she wants to do. And you feel like you're like, I felt like I was on the outside looking in for most of my life. Like I felt sure. like everyone else had their shit together. And I was just the guy like, I don't know, man, I, I'm doing this now. And, yeah. uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's forever, but, yeah, uh, yeah. and it sounds like you were, you had the same kind of journey. You know, I, I did, I, after my, my degree, my university degree, I was at future shop for a bit and my dad constantly like, dude, you can't, a, a bachelor's degree is nothing. It's nothing. And I was like, yeah, I know it's nothing. I'm at Future Shop right now. I know a bachelor's degree is nothing. Do you want a TV Give or not, Dad? Do you want a TV <laughs> exactly. or not, Dad? I got a commission. And, I got and a God damn it, you have to buy the service plan, okay? That's where I make the money, Dad. You know that. We've talked about that over dinner. Uh, I don't need it. I So a guy, I told, I'll tell you, I, I learned the best lesson I've ever learned in my life, but it, it's exactly what you're just talking about. And then I couldn't apply it. I'm like, well, that's a good lesson. But how, what the fuck do you want from me? So I get, I, I, I would have some nice rapport with certain customers. I wouldn't say I was a great salesperson, but the people who liked me really liked me because we, it's not like any other salesperson you meet. There was a real informality and I think they liked it. It wasn't like, hello, sir, how are you? And, and uh, would you like, it was, I was not a robot. I was just me. I was just myself, you know? Yep. So some people really liked it. So one guy takes a liking to me, this Haitian gentleman goes, um, all right, if you ever want the change of career, how long, he goes, how long do you think you're going to stay here? I go, I'm not sure, man. I, the plan wasn't even to be here at all, but, uh, but I'm here. He goes, if you ever want a change of career, uh, you know, give me a call. He gives me his card. The card doesn't say anything on it. 
I don't know what he does, but he was well put together and stuff. So I'm like, fuck it. I owe it to myself to see what the options are. I go see this guy. He goes, what do you see yourself doing in five years, 10 years? I give an extremely uninspiring answer. Some unfocused sort of, well, journalism has always been something I've enjoyed. Uh, I mean, I like reading uh, journals. Uh, I don't know. And also, uh, you know, I've thought about being an architect. Um, I don't have any drawing skills, but, you know, man, there's things, there's different. I don't know what I said. I get, But I literally lost the job for a job I wasn't, I don't even know what I'm applying for. I lost the job in the moment. I see the guy just go, hmm. He goes, okay, I don't know. And it turns out he was an insurance broker in the end. Uh, I don't know what this guy wanted to hear from me, but he obviously wanted some to hear that I was a focused individual. I was not. So he gives me some parting advice. To this day, the best advice I've ever received, but I couldn't use it at the time. Man, He says to me, he goes, just, uh, okay, I don't think this is going to work out, but uh, forever, for whatever it's worth, I want to tell you something. Use it or not. I go, sure. He goes, if you're in a boat, and you have a destination, a clear destination. Every wave, every storm, every you know, turn and tumble will seem like a minor obstacle because your goal in life is here. You have your, you know, you're working towards this. The same thing goes for a human being. If you have a clear direction of where you want to be in life, every rejection, every you know, bad day, whatever it is, We'll just be a minor bump in the road because you have a goal that you're getting to. Mm -hmm. I was like, great. Who gives a shit, bud? I, that doesn't help me get a goal. Right. That doesn't mean I reach in my pocket and go, right, nailed. Now I will. Now I have the thing. But man, that's the best advice. And it was only when comedy became my thing that I was like, here, now I get it. Yeah. A bad set does not define me. Uh, non-entry into a festival I wanted to get into does not define me. Yeah. Not getting a, an audition does not define me. I have goals. I have dreams. I have things I'm working towards. And these are like minor bumps in the way. And I finally felt that guy's advice. But like you say, dude, if you don't have it, you just don't have it. Like I don't, when you meet those guys who are 11, I, I want to be a forensic pathologist. Go fuck yourself, man. Yeah, yeah. I, They're I, also, it doesn't last to be honest, but it, no. it's also a, makes you pretty jealous and unnerved when you meet those people. Well, one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten, you know, you, you think about, you know, someone saying that they really love your comedy or you, as you said, you get a nod by the industry to be a part of a show or be at a festival or whatever. And all those things yeah. are great. But one of the greatest compliments I ever got was from a longtime friend of mine. We're having drinks one night and he goes, man, he goes, of all of our friends, I think you're the only one who's actually doing what he's supposed to do with his life. And he goes, you know, the rest of us are relatively happy. We got jobs, you know, wives, kids, the house and all that stuff. But most of us didn't follow whatever that gut thing that whisper that's in your heart and your head that tells yeah. you you should go in this direction. Most of us didn't do that. We either followed an industry that was booming, IT, whatever it was. Like it was like just kind of security, employment, play it safe, do the thing that your folks want you to do, take over the family business, whatever it was, you know? And he goes, but you were the one like, yeah, this is what you should have been doing. This is what you were meant to do. And I think to this day, that's the greatest compliment I've ever got was that I was able to follow my, whatever that whisper is, whatever that intuition was, sure, I was man. able to do that. And, um, and a lot of people don't, man. 
No, and in, in a similar vein, you just reminded me of my friend Brent once saying to me, he goes, do you even, even my ex would say this from time to time, like, do you even understand how fucking lucky you are? And my ex was a doctor, you know, so people look there and go, oh, look, she's very miserable every day of her right. life. My buddy yeah. Brent, RBC, I don't know what he did with RBC. He made a good amount of money. He was in Singapore, came back to Toronto, made a ton of money. And both of them said to me, do you understand? You never take for granted what you have. And Brent was like, you have two passions, you fucking prick, food and comedy. You know both. He goes, yeah. dude, there's nothing I am passionate about. Like, I love playing ball hockey. That's about it. How do I fucking translate that into anything? Like, buddy, yeah. never take it for granted. I was like, all right, all right, take it easy. I won't yeah. take it for granted. Shit. Yeah, it's true. It's like, it's, I see people all the time, but I think that's important. Like, I think uh, this has come up on the podcast before too, but people say that adage all the time of like, do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. And I always go, that's bullshit. Because I always feel like, I get what they're saying. I get what the sentiment is. Yeah. I've but heard there's you say no this. doubt about it. It's effort. There's no doubt about it. There's heartbreak involved and there's, you know, valleys and times when things don't work out. And I have always felt like if people are out there who can't find their passion yet and they're out there looking for that thing that doesn't, that doesn't, there's no work involved and there's no effort involved. It's like, it doesn't exist, but you're right. Yeah. It's, it's back to that adage that that guy told you when you have a goal and you just know that's a thing, you're willing to blow through all the waves. You're willing to push through all that stuff because it's still obstacles, but you know the goal is worth it at the end of the day. Mm. But I think it's a whisper. I don't think it's a thing that screams at you. I think it's a, when you quiet all the noise, it's that thing that's like, oh, that's the, that's the thing I should do. And it might be something small. It might be something outside the box. You know, it could be, I'm going to open up this little small company where I do consultations or I open up a little cafe or a bakery or whatever it is. It's always been in there. You just can't quiet the noise, the noise long enough to, to right. hear it, you know? Right. So I, I believe in that. I think stillness and quietness allows you to do that. When you're just chasing the shit every day, it's like you're never going to find it. Sure, sure. I, I think we even see that with, uh, with like comedians who do like five, six sets a night. I think it's great. But if you don't have the time to sit and reflect on your set and be like, what worked, what didn't work? You know, I, I've seen comedians like, yeah, man, I, I did four sets. This is my fifth one. And they get on stage and then it's like, yeah, so what else? What else, man? What else? I don't know. What else? You're the guy up there, bud. You give us some what else. We want, to, we want people to contribute for what else you want to hear. I, yeah. I never met you, sir. I don't know who you are. I don't know what I want to hear from you. I don't know what you talk about. You know what I find amazing about that, too, with stand-ups is that you never, you never hear a keynote speaker do that, you know? Just show up like, eh, what else? What else? What else? Oh, yeah. Dreams. That's the thing. Dreams uh, are important. I got, uh, I, got, I got a thing on grief. I got a thing on pain. Who wants pain? Who wants grief? Pain, pain wins. We'll do pain for 45 show minutes. A, show of hands. Pain? This guy wants pain. This guy knows what I'm talking about. Uh, you... <laughs> working in the keynote it's just like what is happening <laughs> dude so when you uh, get to when you get on stage the first time to do stand-up that moment of doing it and i've heard other comedians describe the, the their experience what was that like for you first time that you get it. up and do it. it i love to talk about it my thing was that i was doing so two a couple of things happened number one i uh i had broke up 
with a girlfriend uh, who I'd been living with. And um, she had some mental health issues, which were bringing my mental health down. You know, one of my buddies was like, listen, man, I don't want to tell you what you, what you, what you got to do with your life, but you deserve to be happy. And this woman doesn't make you happy. You're always worried about her. You, you bring her to a party and you're like, you know, you're in a conversation. Is okay. Okay. And it's true because she was a woman who the drive home might've been 45 minutes. Like, I can't believe you left me alone at that party. And I had to talk to this guy, you know, or sometimes you can be with somebody who's pretty chill. Like yeah, I was with this weirdo for a while and I was looking for you. That was it. Yeah. You know, it was never like that. It was always like antagonistic of walking on eggshell. So I broke up with her, left that house. I just, man, I don't, I don't know if you've been in a situation like this, just open my eyes in the morning. She's getting ready to go to work. And I just, I had this thought that had never occurred to me a year and a half. And all of a sudden my head, my brain tells me, you don't have to be here. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's true. I could leave today. I am under no, I don't, I'm not married. I don't have anything. I'm every day is miserable or worried about things going on. So anyway, I just woke up. She came back from work and I said, listen, I think we're done. I'm going to go. And she cried. I kind of cried, but mine were mostly tears of joy. Anyway, God forbid she listens to this podcast, but uh, I was like, so I got her here actually. No, that means she took a plane and you know what? That's unsafe that she would do that. (laughs) Um, you bring her into the shot like this. We're <laughs> dating now. Trent, were you not listening to anything I just said? You don't date her. Oh, God damn it. She's <laughs> changed. Um, You'll never change. She talks about you all the time. Uh, yeah, but I've had that uh, moment where you go, I, the moment I call it, my, my similarity was, this is going to be the rest of my life. That that was my moment of like, exactly the, that. The bucket of cold water of like, yeah. you, you got to change it up here, but like, yeah. this is not going to end well. Yeah. So So I broken up with her in December, 2005. So now 2006 starting fresh, clean. So now it was just like, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? It's not about my forget. I don't have to listen to my parents anymore. I'm in my thirties. I'm not with this woman. What do I want to do? And, and I was like, I want to get on television and I want to be cooking food on TV. I've watched enough dummies on television watch these guys with like these thick, thick French accents on, on Quebec television. And they go, Hey man, you speak English, right? We'll do the same show. We'll just do it in English. And then the French guy's like, okay, it's time to eat. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. The guy doesn't speak the language. It's like, it's a mess. He's out of his element. You, I, I could do a better job than this, which right. is foolish, which is foolish. We know people who watch comedy, like I could do what you're doing. I did that same stupid thing. I could do it. So I had this now singular focus. I am going to get on television as a chef. I'm going to make food. I'm going to entertain people. Anyway, you do some auditions and like you're talking down the barrel to the camera, but you're also like, is the garlic burning? But you can't show your emotions of the garlic. Also, I better take that thing out of the fridge because I got to use that next. And I hadn't taken that out of the fridge. And it's the garlic, you know what I mean? Like you're juggling a bunch of things. It's not as easy as it looks. So it was foolish of me, but, but I was focused. This is what I want to do. So I start, I was like, I'm going to do some open mics this year. And the reason I was confident to do some open mics is because I had been hosting weddings. Pakistani Indian weddings are like 400 people plus. And I'd hosted a bunch of weddings, cousin's wedding, this person's friend's wedding. I was turning it into my own little comedy show. But even if it's 400 people, 
they're there to support. They're there in a good mood. It's not the same as like, all right, dance monkey. I paid five bucks for this. Right. Right. Don't disappoint me, asshole. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> the, the wedding was like positive vibes. But I had the, the confidence from the weddings. I had the confidence because I was out of a relationship. And I had the goal of I want to get on television. So open mics are a great way. I'm going to treat them like a studio audience, this audience. I'm going to make jokes about food. I'm going to build my own confidence. So I get on, you know, my, my buddy has a music studio, my, my good buddy Q. Uh, in his basement, he had a music studio. So he was like, you want to see how it feels? He sets up the mic, he turns around. I do, you know, a few minutes of jokes. It's like eight minutes of jokes. Then he sends it back to me with laughter inserted. He's like, this is what it's going to sound like. Buddy, I can't do anything more for you. Okay, now you got to go and ask them. Now you got to put in front of them. Yeah. So it's April 2006. I get a set at the Comedy Works. And my two buddies, two best friends, the guy Q shows up, my buddy Zach, who I've known since the third grade. Zach, I just need you to film. Sure, man, no problem. He, Zach gets so nervous for me, forgets to film. He's just like this watching. I'm like, what the? So it's, it's nowhere. It's captured nowhere, thanks to Zach's nerves, which were worse than mine. Apparently. I like how you're performing and you're like, I got to do the hard part. I need yeah. you to press the red button. That's all I need you to do. I was too scared. I was too caught up in the moment. We were laughing at him. I'm like, you've been watching me bomb since the third grade in a variety of ways. This should not have been such a... But anyway, it was like a 50 people at the Comedy Works Monday night. And the Comedy Works, so you've been in that room. It's like all brick and pictures of Joe Rogan and Louis C.K. and Ray Romano and all these guys, right? It's like a, the hallowed, hallowed walls and halls of like the Comedy Works. So now my nerves are starting to a little bit like, okay, this is like, ooh, this is kind of, this is more than I bargained for. I thought it was super calm. But in the end, the set went super well. And classic story, which I know you've heard, people do five minutes in three because they are not planning, uh, you know, the, the, the pace just tightens. You're not leaving room for people to laugh. You just like, yeah. and uh I think the guy even said, I never even gave you the light. I was like, I didn't even know where it was. I, I could, it was, it, is it, could you, I don't know. I should have asked, but I, the set went well and I get off stage and my knees buckled. I almost fell because I think my body just went like, whoa, man, did you actually do that? Like, what the hell? You know, like the nerves hit after more than yeah. before. Yeah. And it was a great set. So get on again a second time great set and i'm like i love this this is my thing man i just got, got bit third set i'm gonna do it at the comedy nest now comedy works is in montreal this is the comedy nest continues to be a great club in montreal uh i invite everybody my friends ali's a comedian because yeah, you because you're because you feel like you're established now you're like I've, i'm established i'm ready i've had two good sets Let's same bring club the world out. two That's sets true. same club I've let's, seen everything. Let's book some arenas. Let's. <laughs> I've done two sets at the same club, two weeks apart. What, what can you throw at me that I haven't seen See in that. my career now? Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You've been through the fires. You're ready. <laughs> <laughs> Idiotic. Just so. So anyway, you keep watching kids do it now too. And you're like, eh, it's your journey. Have fun. You know? Exactly. Yeah. We all did it. We all did it. So. 
even the the sound guy goes, holy shit, Ali, we wouldn't have had a show if not for you. It was like 23 people in this room, 19 are your friends. I mean, man, a couple of people get babysitters and shit on a Wednesday night. Like these, these people have come out and I bombed so bad. I bombed so bad. It's like at one point I stepped on the mic cord and I hear it and I'm like, oh shit. Oh, can you guys hear me? That you know, you're not you're not bouncing back too quickly on on comedy number three from can you guys still hear me? It was like really, everything goes to shit. And my buddy who's a musician came backstage after he goes, uh, so that was not good. I go, okay, good. Just thank you for I was curious uh, in a way. Maybe I read the thing wrong. Maybe Maybe because of where I was, I couldn't hear the laughter because of the seven foot distance. I don't know. Because it's, it's different up there? Yeah. But you're saying it didn't? He, okay. That was not good. But I go, he goes, yeah. I go, yeah. There's a but. He goes, but. Did you learn from that? I go, you know what, man? I did, I did actually learn from that. He goes, and I bet, I bet you learned more from that set than you did from the other two that went well. He goes, just remember that, man. We got to go through the same thing in music. You learn from your failures and you more move forward. There's always something to learn. It's, it can't be like discouraged. Like, I don't know what to do. And eh. you learn from this, you move on. And I thought that was a great thing to have at the beginning of my career to hear from a friend who's like in a similar <clears throat> creative field and yeah, it helped build. And then there were, you know, ups and downs and ups and downs. And uh, Isn't yeah, I mean, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I see. I think some people lean into the bomb and love it. I've never really been that guy. Yeah. I, you know, for many years, I would be like, I'll try something new cushioned right. in between five minutes of great and four minutes of great. And then I can even get out. I can even get out. If it's not working after I say the first five words, I'll just, I'm out. I pull shoot, so yeah. I was, yeah. So very risk averse for a while. And then I, you know, I met Dave Merhej and I would see this guy just work stuff out on stage. Good buddies of mine were, truly fearless and then i was like i gotta push more i, I gotta let this breathe a little bit I, yeah. i'm too 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 scared of the bomb you know don't you think too that like that guy that came backstage that friend of yours who said gave you that great advice like i've thought about my own career and how lucky i've been too to have people around me at the time it was a girl i was dating who when i first moved to calgary we were dating she was very supportive of me trying stand up very supportive of I had the same thing. I had my first set was great. Uh, my second set, I ate it. And yeah. she was like, well, I was like, I I'm done. I was like, I'm out. I'm not going to do stand up anymore. She's like, really? So you had one good set. You had one rough one. And now you're done. And she was not given any quarter. She was like, really? no, that's who you are as a person. Yeah. I was like, I was like, Christ, you're a, you're a nurse. Aren't you supposed to be loving? I'm like, what is this with the, the, the hard love here? What's with the tough It's like love? your second bomb of the night. Yeah, Bombing exactly. with this girl here too. Jeez. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. Um, but, <laughs> but I had some really good people around me too with advice. And I realized like not every comedian has that when they first start. Like if you're no. in the wrong crowd or you have the wrong person whispering in your ear, maybe you never make it back to the stage again or you become and, very and bitter and angry. You're too young to know if it's the wrong person or the right person. So really is the luck of the draw. And I've, I've had some wrong persons come and tell me something. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would have taken it to heart. And then luckily I stuck around, watched them get on stage. And I was like, this, I'm going to listen to this guy. Right. What? 
This guy pretended the microphone was a vagina for four minutes and licked it. I mean, that's not, is that, com- is that what I'm, that's the guy? That's, that's my I'm, mentor? I'm emulating this guy? Is that what's, uh, and I still feel it now if I go to a club or an open mic or whatever, and there's someone who's on stage for their first time or it's their first month or two months or whatever, I still feel that anxiety for them because I remember sure. that lost feeling of like, man, I'm trying to find my way and figure this out. Sure, sure, sure. And I don't think it's something to be snickering in the back of the room and making fun of the guy no, up there who doesn't know about no. the mic stand and whatever, because that was all of us. Like we totally, all, man. and if it wasn't for the community here in Calgary where I started and how welcoming people were, um, and we're like, and also on top of that, we're, Hey man, we're going to do some writing on Saturday together. If you want to come, we're going to go work on our own bits and we help each other with stuff. Like I got accepted pretty quickly into a little, a little hub of people. And so I don't know where I would have been without that. Cause I was so sure, nervous, man. so fragile, scared to death. Didn't know anybody like, Oh yeah. So new I, city too, man. Dude. And so I think about all that when I see somebody new who may have moved here from Lethbridge, you know, and they're, or they drove down from Lethbridge to just do a five minute spot at a, Mike on a Tuesday night, and they're gonna get back in their car and drive to three hours back to, Le- and you're, we're gonna be in the back of the room making fun of them, or like, you know, like. No man, they got out of Lethbridge for a few hours. That's a win. It's you know, a win. <laughs> yep. Am I gonna get Lethbridge death threats? I don't oh, know. Here come the emails now. This is live. <laughs> yeah. Tell ah! Alia said never to come to Lethbridge. Wow, that's that's a harsh one. Well, I'm um, one step ahead of you, Lethbridge. <laughs> I've already been invited zero times, so that's. <laughs> But those people early on are very important. And I think, uh, so I'm glad you had that totally. person. That you kinda, know, you know. It's very funny because you can have that even in a non-supportive way. I remember Scott Falconbridge, who I'm, I'm, I'm friends with Scott and I like Scott, but Scott could, you know, he was already a veteran when I was like in my first month of comedy, you know, like he's been right. around for a long time, a seasoned vet. So um, somebody had seen me some comic goes hey hey man you were great a couple weeks ago i see i saw you uh you going up tonight i go yeah i am man i'm sorry i'm doing the same stuff though and scott falconbridge walks right by me and he goes never apologize for your material and then he just keeps walking there no 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 i just mean i was hello oh okay (laughs) just like a not friendly not but but still useful like good like helpful you know like yeah. he wasn't he wasn't like ah buddy come on he wasn't there to have a drink with me but he was like come on you stupid young kid there's yeah, no yeah. goddamn thing you don't apologize for your material you do it you do it you do it over until it's fucking airtight yeah yeah so even the, and i will say that uh, you know some of these um what were you just talking about like when when young comic oh yeah when young comics get on stage i'm never there to snicker or do any of that but i will tell you this that I never waste a, a, a good job on somebody. I, I, I treasure that because I treasured it when I, when somebody told me, you know, Iman was the bartender and Iman El Hosseini has gone on to have such a great career and, and, and her, she's married to Jeff Solomon. These are two of my closest friends in comedy and I, I love them both. But Iman was a bartender with aims and plans to get on stage. And she started within a year after me, but I didn't know that. What I knew is the bartender who sees comedy all the time at the comedy works said to me, you were really funny. I hope you come back. Oh, that's cool. And that meant the world to me. Cause now I'm doing the math. I go, how many comedians does she see that you would say that to me? Maybe I do have something, you know, and the sound guy as well. We didn't have to say anything. Sound guy was like, you're good, man. You're good. I hope you keep at it. You hope I keep at it. You can't say that to 13 guys on a Monday. These yeah. are big. Yeah. So I never want to be the guy who, and I know enough friends who do this. Ah, come on, you just got off stage. His feelings are probably bruised. I just said you did great up there, kid. 
I, I find those words matter. I think that matters. I don't want to be the guy who goes, you did great. I want to say if somebody did do great. And there's enough times where I see somebody, uh, hey, guys, it's his third time on stage. Please give it up. And they, you're just blown away. You're like, that's number three? Yeah. Look, guys. I don't know, man. Like, was, was he born underneath the stage while his parents performed on it? It's unbelievable. And I for sure go out of my way to be like, hey, man, I thought that was excellent because yeah, yeah. that meant something to me, you know? And I don't want to give anybody the wrong ideas. I'll say it when it, when it, when it does count. Yeah, it does. It, it, there is some gravity to it, especially when you're, as I said, you're so impressionable. The negative things also, you know, they also stay with you or someone says something to you that's, sure derogatory or you know disheartening that could be the end of you it's like yeah i went once i tried it a it didn't go well b i was not welcomed by that community at all and uh i'm gonna crawl under a rock and pretend it never happened so any lifeline you can get in those scenarios i'm like man you, sure. you throw that to someone it means a lot it means a lot. how do you feel about giving unsolicited advice where do you stand on that i don't generally do it because i realize most people's they're so in their own head and everything is so precious. So yeah. they may have worked on this thing. They deliver it. That's their art. That's what they make. They put it out in the world. If someone comes to me and they ask, I will be honest. And I will say sure. like, you know, I'll be kind, but I'll be honest. And I think you owe them that. But I remember back in the day, as you must, must remember, of course, people just coming up to you, giving you their opinion of like, what you should do is, Ali, that bit you do about the cat. What I was thinking is you rework that and you bring it back. It's like, and then you're right. You had to watch that person perform and you're like, that guy's, that guy's rewriting my stuff. And this guy's up there doing, licking the microphone for, you know, like, so I always was always conscious of that. And so, but if someone values you enough and your opinion enough to ask you for like, Hey man, that joke about the dolphin or did my set, did you see it? I, I will be honest and give them that, but I don't just fire that out because I'm yeah. the grand poobah of comedy and I know what you should be doing. That's a big no, ass no, no, exactly. assumption to make, you know, what about you? Do you, will you do it unsolicited? Sure. Or what's your, sure. Yeah. And I, no, I never liked the guys who did. I'm very picky and choosy, man. I'm very picky and choosy. And I don't know if some younger comics are listening right now. They'd be like, well, be more picky and choosy dickhead. I remember when you told me this, you know what I mean? Like there may be a <laughs> yeah. little bit of that where I wasn't choosy enough, but sometimes, you know, like, there's a guy named Natish Sakuja. I don't know if you've met Natish, but Natish has become a friend of mine. Good dude. I still consider him a young comic, but he's, 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 you know, he's been in it for 10 years now at least. Um, but I remember once, you know, he would do a set and he would write on Facebook, I fucking killed this room. Man, I smashed the place, blah, blah. I fuck. And I was like, should I, should I? It's his own journey. And then I, I was just like, you know, I'm going to do it because I like the kid. I'm going to do it because I like the kid, but I'm going to do that whole thing. Take this, what, you know, how do they say it? This, take this advice. It's, it's worth the paper it's printed on. Nothing. Right. Take it or don't take it. But I told him, I go, man, let, my opinion, based on what I know, for whatever you think that is, I think you should let other people tell you when you've killed or smashed. To say you smashed or killed kind of rubs people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And like a couple of years later, he told me, he goes, hey, dude, that was the best advice ever. People hated me. People hated me up until then. I, up until, I didn't even know why they hated me. He goes, I stopped doing that. And I started making friends. I'm like, hey, I don't know if I'm fully responsible for that, but that's great. I'm, yeah. I'm happy that worked. But so I, I, I debated it back and forth. I was like, should I, shouldn't I? Like, maybe I'll just unfollow him and then my problem solved. I don't have to read this shit. But then I was yeah. like, no, but I like this kid. I, I like him very much. Like, I think he's a good dude. And I like, he's got a very different style. And I thought, so anyway, sometimes it's worthwhile 
Other times, maybe you uh, you create an enemy who's planning for your demise and, and murder because yeah. you told them like, uh, <laughs> you know, I heard that tag on Comedy Central just last night. I don't know if you want to, well, who cares, but yeah, yeah. Mind material. Well, it's true. It's, it's, you know, that I've seen those posts too of people saying killed it at whatever open mic. And I'm like, I, I have the same philosophy. Let other people tell you that. Like you, if you had a good set or the crowd was fun or whatever, and that's just how I've done it. I don't know if you get to decide whether or not you, I know, you know, when you had a good set, we all know when it went well. Yeah. But mo- most of us do, you know, like, oh, yeah, man, I was, wow. I was, I was on my game tonight and that crowd was great and it all comes together. And it's an amazing night. Sure. But to post that on social media, like I killed is, is, I don't know. I don't think I've ever posted something like that. I don't think I've no. ever written. And I know sometimes comics just write it to be generous about other comics. Like Ali San came down to the, uh, Oak tree tonight and he killed it, whatever. Yeah, I'm like, that's great. Give it to somebody else. I have no problem with, but when you yeah. Yeah, doing it to yourself, I'm like, Did and you in know? fairness, uh, I was, uh, I was the master of the Oak tree for a long time. And I think, uh, I think that's yes. recognized, uh, you know, Nationwide. worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's going to, me- nobody can follow me after, after 10 minutes tree. at the Oak tree. No, right? I mean, people know that, you know, people, people will say like, sometimes we put Ali on first and, and we consider the show over. You know, it's like that's people, it. someone else goes on after. We just tell him, them, stretch, stretch. You're doing yeah. stuff that's unfollowable. Just keep stretching. Just keep going. You're the show. Yeah. Keep going. We've got people lined up around the block. Just keep, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Um, and you get to a point in your life for you, your career, where you went, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a comic. I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. This is a thing that I'm going to do with my life. Do you ever sit back and think about that and go, that's insane. Like that's to tell someone that that's what you're going to do. I don't care if it's a loved one, if it's a stranger on a bus that that, I still think it's sometimes like, that's insane to tell someone that you're going to do that. Well, we were joking about it at the beginning about like my father-in-law, you know, it's like a source of like, like you really, you really hear how it sounds when you tell a man you want to marry his daughter. What do you do? Stand <clears throat> like, look, I, I got my hands in a lot of pots right now. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I do some stuff that I can't really talk about. It's kind of like confidential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if you have the, um, the, uh, the classification uh, yet, uh, Dad. Can I call you Dad? I can't call you Dad. Okay, uh, <laughs> don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't ever touch me. You put your hand on other shit. Don't, don't touch me. Yeah, uh, don't touch me. Is that one of your jokes? Is that one of your jokes? You touch people? I'm not. Uh, I'm not particularly into really? that. Really? We raise you right. This is what you bring home. This is what you bring home. And I wouldn't have even faulted him for doing that to his daughter. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, honey, it's insane. I, honey, I know you're divorced, uh, but I, I've taken a look at this fella. You're better off just staying divorced. I think, I think we can all agree. I think we're happier if you just avoid this train wreck who's come into my home and said that he'd like to give his thoughts to other people for money. That's something that's not going to happen, and we both know that. So uh, it's insane that, to think of it. No, yeah. it is insane. And that's why, like the greatest joy for me, you know, my father had passed on by that point, but the greatest joy, whatever bullshit nonsense was coming out of my mouth is another story. But to be on that panel night after night, George Strombolopoulos on the CBC to, to provide that for my in-laws. Um, Cause I married a woman with two daughters. They're my daughters now. And I can say that confident, confidently, but at the time it's like, he's going to take care of not only our daughter, but our granddaughters. Right. 
And he's going to do that. Okay, so you've mentioned he's going to do that with chicken wings. Now, what else is going to be a, a big part of what he brings into the film, yeah. right? And so then within a year to be on CBC television, man, I mean, nothing brought me more joy. And it brought me some time to breathe as well as I sort of plan what's going to happen next. These guys are going to have this for a few years. They can, right. draw, you know, seven years later, you haven't done anything. Now it's like, yeah, I know 2012 was a good year, but fuck. But it yeah, yeah. Gave me some time. It gave me some confidence as a as a man. You know, those are important wins, man. Those are very very important min- wins for you as a person and your self worth and all that kind of stuff. There's no doubt about it, man. That's a great point. And also, to give you some validation within your family and within mm. your circle of friends of like, oh, okay, well clearly his choice is is actually working out because he's got this gig and he's getting paid and you know like you do need those carrots along the way. Like, I think sometimes we glorify the struggle of it all, about the grind and all that. And I'm all about it, but you also need some wins, man. Like you need some stuff where a festival gives you a nod or, you know, you're on a little bit of a tour and you're selling some tickets or you're, something's moving forward. You you know, you went from, I just do guest spots and now I'm middling the club or now I was used to middle and now I'm a headline. Like you do need something that's measurable and tangible just to keep your feet moving, just to moving go like, forward. clearly yeah. I'm, I'm doing something right. But if you don't yeah. have that, you know, where's the motivation to go, all right, going to get in the car and go down to this open mic and bomb and I don't have, I'm no further ahead. And my lady's oh, like, no, how are no. we paying rent? And uh, the father-in-law is yeah. like, uh, where is he? Is he going to get a job? No, he's going down to the <laughs> thirsty raccoon there to do his jokes about whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you need that fuel to just get you through the next couple of months man you know thirsty raccoon encompasses so many shitholes just those two words you like as a comedian you got like neurons firing all of a sudden thirsty raccoon is the umbrella term yeah. for so many fucking we've all played it disgusting all played it. yeah it doesn't exist but it so does exist it very much unless exists. there is a thirsty raccoon that i don't know about but it's uh it's uh Maybe there is. I should, I, should, I should Google that at some point and find it if Thirsty Raccoon. You should buy it. Buy yeah. the domain. Huh? Guys, open mic, Sunday night, 11 o'clock. The show starts at 11 p.m. at the Thirsty Raccoon. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think you're right, man. You need those wins, and you need them for yourself, and you yeah. have to need them for whatever. I told a story once about how I uh, – because this, my, my put a bow on this. is just that for other people outside of this world – they there's it's just what you said you're an astronaut like people were like i don't what are you talking about yeah and i went back to st john's newfoundland once to open up for jerry d years ago when i used to open for him all the time and uh i'm playing the big theater back there it's sold out i opened for jerry it's a big deal for me i'm back in a place i used to live newfoundland whatever so i do my set and it goes well jerry goes on crick kills then uh, I go you know, to the lobby afterwards. I'm meeting up with buddies, and their parents are there. And one of my buddy's parents goes, good stuff, Trey. That was really good. But uh, what do you do for money these days? What do, you, what do you do for work? Like, what's the – and I'm like, well, this is This, this is, is the best thing I've done for money so yeah, far. Yeah. yeah. This is what yeah. I do. And he, and he went, no, no, I mean, like, for work. Like, what do you do, what yeah. do, you do for a job? Like, this is great and everything, but what do you do? And I remember going like, no, dude, like this is like everyone paid to come and yeah. I'm getting a portion of that. And I go on to another place and do the same thing. And he just right. was like looking at me like, couldn't, like, it wouldn't sink in. Hey, like, Matt, could you get your dad the fuck out of here? He's really killing my buzz. We have a second show coming and he's really reduced me to fucking ash. I think he's right been, now. I think he's been, 
Um, no, but, I haven't drank in 10 years. I really need to know how you make money. Drink the fuck out of here. <laughs> but, I, but I realized in that moment, I realized like, oh, this is, this is so against what everyone, you know, in terms of going upstream on what everyone else thinks as, of as the norm. Yeah, 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 been, yeah, yeah. And how they've been brought up and you go to school or you get a trade or whatever. And I just remember afterwards going like, oh, yeah, man, like I'm out there. Like I, as a career oh, path, this is sure. out there in the world. You know, dude, if my daughters bring home a guy and they're like, this is Eric and he's a beat poet, even with my background, I'm going to be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so just beat poetry? Well, some beat poetry, sir, and then also some slam poetry. Great. I'm glad you mentioned the slam book. So then important to have your hands in a lot of <laughs> Jesus. Even Jesus. me, man, even me, you know, and I it, it look, I tell my kids, too, you can be whatever you want to be, but uh just be the best, like be good. You don't want to be a shitty thing yes. that's like out there. You know what I mean? In the world, put the effort I'm in. That's what I mean, it's the effort. Yeah, it's yeah. the effort, it goes back to that. This is very funny in our house right now. We, you know, I have always said that, uh, I've always said that I'll let my kids do anything. Who the hell am I as a stand-up to be like, no, no, my kids have to do this. Have to, they could do whatever they want. Anyway, my eldest, who's very bright, super smart. I was telling you her whole identity is school. She came home last year and she's like, I think I want to be a grade one teacher. Mm. Now I have all the respect in the world for teachers, grade one. Like I, I don't have the patience for four children who I'm supposed to love, never mind four, 30 strangers kids, right? So I'm full respect. But the, the thought in my wife and I, our mind was that this kid, my kid, she's kind of our retirement plan. I don't know if grade one, you're taking summers off. You got to get, you know, yeah. you know, it's not enough. It's not, enough. I think like she, I feel like she could be, you know, with her work ethic, be in school, master's PhD, and then, you know, teach at a university or something. I was like, grade one. Okay, great. I can't say anything. I, I've said a hundred times, you do whatever you want. Anyway, I was on tour with, with Rick Mercer and I had told Rick this and, he goes, ah, oh, yeah, you're fucked there, buddy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's too bad. Your, your retirement plan, maybe, maybe, maybe you just focus on her happiness. I'm like, no, not just yet, Rick. We're going to no. try to, no, that's not what we were going for. Thanks for the advice. Thanks for the Thanks advice. For the advice. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I see Rick one day, uh, you know, well, whatever, when we're on tour. So I see him the next day and I get a call from my wife and it's the best news ever. My daughter got lice from one of the grade one students and I go to Rick, I go, best news, buddy. The girl got lice. Probably not going to want to be a grade one teacher. You don't get lice in the accounting department. You don't get lice at PricewaterhouseCoopers accounting department. This is great news for the whole family. People were like, you're, what are you talking about? You love that your daughter got lice? I'm like, man, I don't know. Oh, that's amazing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Even my own kids, I don't appreciate their life choices. Never mind the person they're bringing home. I, we're so screwed here. I feel so bad about it. <laughs> well, it's just like, it's hard, man. Like, even when, you know, when you're chasing your own dream and you see the logic in it, it's really hard for someone else to, when, to look at someone else's dream and go like, okay, if you say so, all right, you, yeah. you got a plan here? You, this is, you, you see this working out to you? Okay. Yeah. All right. Like, I'm sure people looked at me and went like, Trent, buddy, what's happening? Especially as you get older. Yeah. It's one thing to do it at 20, 21, 22. You're in your 30s, still trying to figure out, and this is the thing you choose? Okay. He'll be back at the Burger Shack next year. <laughs> exactly. I give him yeah. five months till he's back on the line with us, buds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Dude, how was that tour that you guys did? You went right across, right? You guys went, uh, you went, did you go coast to coast? Were you like we St. Did, John's, uh, Victoria? We did, we uh, did. Tell folks about the tour. What, what? Uh, it was, uh, it was, a, I mean, what a great thing to do before uh, the world kind of went to shit because I, it's really like my happy place. I can just go and think about, you know, yeah. Rick, uh, Rick and I having uh, afternoon drinks and taking, going to, you know, you can have a nap, nap, nap. We're just, yeah, yeah. we're like, we were responsible to no one. Right. You want to have a, you want to polish a bottle of wine off in the afternoon in Kelowna? Great, Rick. I'm going to go martinis myself. <laughs> and normally I don't have, uh, you know, a plate of uh, fried fish and French fries, but you know what? My wife's on the other side of the country having a great day. So it was just like so fun. It was like just the funnest people. And Rick's storytelling. Amazing. I mean, you know, my wife would call, haven't spoken to my wife in two and a half days. She's not even sure which city I'm in. I've been away for a while. She hadn't seen her in two weeks, haven't spoken to her in two and a half days. She would call and be like, not now. Rick's telling a story. Rick's telling a story. I can't. I can't. I mean, it's just the best, you know, he's That's seen awesome. so much of Canada and I was telling a lot of these guys on the, on the tour, like, you know, I have a, a political science degree and I, I'm, 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 you know, civic minded to, to, to some degree. There are people who are much more so than I am. I'm not a political comedian, but I, I do love this country and I'm interested in things that happen in this country and to have Rick Mercer there. You know, it because it was called Canadian um, Comedy Night in Canada. So it was Ivan Decker from BC, who was a phenomenal comedian. Rick Mercer, Deb Giovanni, who's amazing. What a force she'd come up from LA. And Sophie Buttle, who started with us temporary, but then was so good that they were like, just keep Sophie on. Just oh, keep awesome. her, have her do those. Yeah. Um, so it was like a great crew, but also like, you know, I think some of these tours are with American comics. You have one Canadian comic and then three American or at least two American. And I was just thinking about like going in a van from like, you know, Halifax to Moncton or something. And like those some American comic looking up from his phone after an hour and just going, you guys, uh, you guys have Dunkin' Donuts here. All right. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, I don't like that. That's not for me. No, like yeah. I would, I get along with everybody, buddy. I'd have, I'd have a fun time on the tour, but in my head, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. Do some research on the country you're in. It's a fucking country of proud people who do things. Yeah. Yes, we are also proud to have the shitty Dunkin' Donuts in this country, okay? You should know that about us. But to have Rick, like, talking about the time he was doing this with Peter McKay and doing this with, like, um, what was that guy, Preston Manning and this. and that. I mean, he's just been around the block of, like, the fibers of this country, and amazing, I really man. loved it. I and, loved dude, it. that's a great thing about touring, too. Like, if you can be, you know, as you said, on flights and in cars and vans with the right people, you realize yeah. how many people don't get to do that? Like just, just in their lifetime, they get to go to all the major Canadian cities with people that you enjoying. You're probably staying in nice hotels. You're, you know, like it's, oh, yeah. when you do touring the right way, dude, I, I, when it, when it all comes together, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the shows are great on top of that. You're meeting people who are excited totally. to come to the show and they loved it and they work hard and they, like, you know, that they're giving you And feedback. it's all a bonus, right? It's all a bonus because you have no reason to expect that it would right. be that good. Right. You, comedy owes you nothing. No. Right? It's like, uh, I, I had written this in an article once for that Comedy Tribune. Kevin Pillar said, baseball owes you nothing. Yeah. I don't like that. We could put that right on comedy. Comedy yeah. owes you nothing. And that's why that advice about, like, you got to have the long-term goals because you could be in a condo with some guy 
60-year-old, you know, road dog who's like coughing up a lung every morning. And that's what you wake up to. You mind if I smoke in the kitchen? Yeah, man, I do mind if you smoke in the kitchen. What the fuck? I didn't ask you to smoke. I don't care that it's minus 30. Please step outside. You know what I mean? Like we've all had these horrible, like some guy just fries bacon for a full hour. I just want to fry everything for the whole week. Now everything I own reeks of bacon fat. Great. Thanks, bud. Could have, you could have come over and shut my door. I was out of the, whatever. It's like all these horrors. And everything. I've been lucky to have pretty decent times, but it's also like that shithole, that, that, that shitty moment is around the corner. Yes. And it's okay if it is because comedy owes you nothing. But when it comes together on these tours where everybody gets along, everyone's having a good time, you don't have to avoid somebody. You don't have to be like, oh, man, careful what you say around that person. And yeah, It's yeah. just, man, it's magic. And so that was, that was magic. 2019, that comedy tour was really something else. And I guess we, needed, we needed 2020 to take a break. You know what I mean? Because can't yeah, yeah. top. So this exactly. is important for me. I needed the pandemic more than anybody. Yeah, yeah. Just to kind of reflect and just marinate in the glory that was your 2019 tour. Yeah. Um, you'll appreciate this story. So Jim Gaffigan came to Calgary a bunch of years ago. I was early in a stand-up. So we went to the show and we ended up meeting up with him afterwards. Myself and a bunch of other comics, Chris Gordon, uh, Amanda Brooke Perrin, another friend of mine, Brent Hall. So we're sitting, hanging out with him and his opening act. We just watched the show. He crushed it at this theater. We're sitting down having drinks, and he's super nice. His opener is super nice. And I'm just like, man, that was awesome. We're sitting with Jim Gaffigan, you know. And uh, I, I say to Jim, I'm like, so, Jim, what's going up for you? What's going on for you next? He's like, oh, I got some more tour dates, and I got to do this TV thing in the U.S., and I go back and forth, and we're just chatting. And I turn to his opening act, and I go, so what about you, man? What's, what's coming up next? To kind of make him feel included in the conversation, he goes, you know, man, it's uh, just shitty bars in Nashville and Texas, you know? And I was like, oh, like I, in my mind, I went, oh, Trent, you idiot. Like this is, Jim Gaffigan, of course, is going on to like amazing yeah. things. His opening act, who he just brought along, who's a great comic, is like, oh, no, this is, this will not change my life. I will go back to doing the, the Thirsty Raccoon oh, yeah, yeah, Tuesdays, yeah, yeah. I host a, uh, like, and I went, oh, man, try to be a little bit more selective. of. Uh, Do you remember that guy? Does he have a career now that is? Of I, I, I don't remember his name. And okay, I don't, okay. Yeah, I don't, but I, I, remember I, the look, I remember the look on his face. What, basically what I'd done is I'd burst his bubble because he'd, he was living in the tour bubble. He's flying to Canada. He's playing sold out saucy theaters. It's great feedback. And all I did was just steal that moment from him and remind him. Oh that, yeah. Oh, you go back to the place with the no. Uh, he should have just been like, you know, the answer to that question. And I resent you asking me that right now. We're trying to put real life on hold right now. <laughs> exactly. I'm living this fake bullshit. And, uh, and let me have this, please. Yeah. It's like, it's like I'm, a, I'm the guy walking around the resort. You're laying around on your blankets. You know, you spent it up. I go, what do you guys go back to work? Huh? You guys head back to work soon. You guys head back there. You go, <laughs> what are you doing next week? Yeah. <laughs> I'm on a beach drinking out of a coconut now. That is what we need to focus on, the right now. I hear it's minus 35 in Toronto when you guys get back. Huh? You guys know that? It's when, like, when you get who back. This who's this guy? What's he doing? I just go around raining on your current moment. Yeah. How long are you here for? Seven days? It goes fast. It goes real fast. You'll yeah. see it like day one tomorrow. It's almost Crazy. better not to come. Yeah, because you just the switch back. It's just it's not worth it. That's why I'm. We cut ours early. I'm. I've been here two days. I'm going back. I can't. 
I don't want to get deeper into the love and the, and the joy and the, I can't, be, I can't be here. But I remember that just, I saw his face just change in so front good. of me. You know, you know, when you say something to someone and their face just changes right there in front of you. And you're, I mean, in your defense, you, you didn't know what his life was. You, you assumed he was a star because he's with Jim Gaffigan. So you, yeah. you would, like right now, Jim was touring with um, uh, Ted Alexandro. Yeah, who's yeah. phenomenal in his own right. Carmen Lynch was on that tour, who's great, one of the top comics in New York City. So, yeah, you never know. Like, sometimes you think, like, well, Jim's not going to pick any schlub out of yeah. the open mic circuit. This, guy, right. this guy's going to be huge. When's your Netflix special coming out? Yeah, yeah. I, I, actually, I can't afford Netflix because it's eight ninety nine a month. But maybe after this tour. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've come up, too, a lot with comedians is that the amount of – Everyone thinks, you know, the next opportunity is the thing is your big break and that things change. And it's like, man, that process is so slow from like whether it's, you know, getting on a TV show or you have a role in a TV show or a small role or you get a comedy special that airs. Like it's not that overnight thing anymore where it's like, boom, and I woke up the next day and everything was different. Like yeah, it's, such a, it's such a slow burn, man. Sure, sure. When you have this conversation, they always bring up Quebec, which has a star system. Right, we don't have a star system, and that in itself is what makes this a molasses drying pace. Yeah, exactly. Like when you went on Strombo, did you did you feel any kind of change over time? Where kind of like you recognize more, or you start doing your own shows, and you're selling a few more tickets, or you're like, what was that? What was that life? Was there a change? Anything you felt, or was there it like, was, no, man. nothing has changed for me. I, I had a few minutes of this, but it's all drawn from actual experiences. I, uh, it was always like senior citizens and the elderly recognizing me. Right. Always. So the first time, and it was just great because my wife was starting to get a bit jealous and anticipating. Like, I don't know if like, because sometimes you go to these open mics and I don't know what the groupies are like at the open mics. I don't know why you said you were going to come home at 10, but you came home at 1130. Right. And I had to explain to her, I'm like, okay. It was Dave Merhej talking about the warts on his eyelids, followed by me talking about my bedwetting, followed by this comic talking about his sad looking penis. There's no groupies, okay? I don't understand what I need to, there's no, that's not a thing. I love you, I'm married to you. For, so we have this for a bit. And then one day we're at a bakery, this German bakery. And, uh, I'm walking in with my wife. It's this very well-known German bakery. A lot of older people go there. This guy stops, gives me an angry, angry look. I'm expecting racist diatribe or something. He's angry at me. And he raises his cane and, like this at me. And he goes, I know you from the TV. <laughs> and my wife goes, I'll leave you with your fans. And she goes in and I'm like, wait fucking unsupportive bitch i was like you don't leave now this guy's a fucking loco why is he angry that he recognizes me so anyway i had a i had a joke about how he said the tv yeah yeah the TV from no i i recognize you from um from tv he goes and i go you don't have to you know usually we say the tv <laughs> no because i saw you on internet no there's a the that you say the internet I don't want, sir. I, I got to get the fuck out of here. So there was that, and then one time, Daryl Purvis and I, Daryl, you know Daryl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daryl's a great dude. He's a comedian from Antigonish. Antigonish, that's the right pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Antigonish. 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 Yeah, yeah. It's fine. 
So he's with me in Ottawa. We're at Absolute Comedy doing a week. It's a great week because he's such a good dude. And I just keep getting recognized by people who are like, oh. so it happened once in the street and he laughs because it's like older people. Fine. Then it happens. We are sitting at a bar, second floor in the Byward Market. And this woman has been talking with her, uh, with her, uh, with her partner, with her husband. And then she just leans her head back like this. And she goes, I thought I recognized the voice. And so now Daryl goes, oh, he's meeting another. And then she's older. And she goes, uh, she goes, how are you? We're visiting from PEI. And then I thought I recognized you. I go, this is my friend, Daryl Purvis. He's at Absolute Comedy all week. You know, he's headlining. If you guys wanted to come by, great. And um, I go, so what are you guys doing vacationing around uh, around uh, Ottawa? And she goes, no, actually, we came here because I have to get my hip replaced. I don't, I'm looking at her and I hear Daryl Purvis go, I just hear him clap. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Hip replacement. Like, it wasn't bad enough that she was clearly, you know, it was 60 plus hip replacement. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then Daryl goes to the bathroom. These people have left. And this waitress comes up to me. She's in her 20s, early 20s. And she goes, has anyone ever told you that you look like that guy from the George Strombolopoulos show? And I'm like, now Daryl's in the bathroom. Now Daryl has to be in the bathroom. I go, yeah, I, I, that is who I am. She goes, my mom's going to freak out that I met you. <laughs> I go, Unbelievable. And then I do the math and I go, you know, her mom, if she's like 23, still one of my younger fans. You know, still. 40s. Yeah. You know, so it was so much of that. It was so much of that. And now that I've started going on tour and doing the same sort of life you live where it's like people just coming to see, that was always my dream. Yeah. Yeah. My dream, I'm sure similar to yours was get out of these scenarios where, you know, it's not like, it doesn't matter whose names on the marquee they're coming and they're like, is he funny? Have I seen him somewhere? And then you got to host a show with a bachelorette party there. And they got like a, headband with a dildo strapped to it and they're just like talk to me and i because i had some stuff i wanted to work on i'm trying to develop some no i guess i have to talk to the right oscillating fluorescent dildo lady here in the front row and you're like i can't wait till this is over yeah yeah but again as long as you have those goals you're like working towards something right so i'm finally in that place where i'm going to cities where i know nobody nelson bc don't know anybody medicine hack don't know anybody and people are come you know between 100 or 400 whatever it is it's not massive yet but it's like they come and it's those older people and i'll never i'll never slag them man those are my fans they've got they've got the interest uh they support the cbc so then they hear me or they see me on it they've got disposable income yep and they are getting out of there dude i i got and this is not to toot my own horn you know but i was doing the show muslim interrupted it's a very uh, personal show and 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 it, it's like a it's a solo show so it's not just straight up comedy goes up and down i got a, a standing ovation in sherwood park alberta it's a room of about 120 people it's the small room in the big theater a guy got up to give me uh, to, to stand and clap he had a cane and then his cane had a cane you know the three-pronged yeah. cane yep when your cane needs a cane he had that and he stood up to clap and i almost got tears in my eyes i was already pretty emotional i'm getting a standing ovation this is like oh man i'm like so nervous it's like the second show i went from calgary did two shows sherwood park 
Short Park goes, we need an intermission. I'm like, oh man, I got break this. I don't know how the show breaks in half. Right. So I'm like nervous in my own head. And then they just were so loving and accepting. And when I saw that guy with his cane, I almost bit the microphone off. I was like, oh yeah. my God, if I don't, I got to chew my own heart, my arm or I'm going to start crying, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so from that day, I was like, well, I'm always going to mention this, that whatever, you know, we've had some laughs of the, I know you from the TV guy. That's hilarious. But at the same time, I got to love these people. This, you know, they're older, primarily white Canadians who come out, they show support. And this is my fan base. I always thought it would be the Pakistani community. Those guys don't give a shit about me. They just don't care. But the rest, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate my, uh, my fans when I can. They're great. That's awesome, man. It's amazing when you put yourself out there like that to get that acceptance too. like just being you doing things your way, you create your tour, you decide what cities you want to go to. You have to decide, you know, big decisions about marketing and stuff or whatever it is you control the content and what you're saying every night. And then when you do all that stuff and it hits and people relate, like, I don't know if there's a greater feeling of acceptance in the world than that, you know, and putting yourself out there and people, like you said, they bought tickets months in advance. They, yeah. People had to get a babysitter. People made their way. They had to get parking. They might have went to dinner before they came to the show. Like it's a night out. And I'm like, man, that's all I ever wanted. I just wanted, that's, I, I didn't think about money. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about anything. I was just like, if I get to yeah. that point, I will have made it. Absolutely. But I never had financial goals. I had performance goals. Where do I want to perform? Soft seat theaters where it's my name, just my name. I don't right. need anything else. And buddy, I tell you, I still get like, uh, I still get like chills down, like shivers down my spine when I think of like Nelson, BC. I know nothing about, I've never been to Nelson. Last year I got a, a show in Nelson and um, you know, you're, you've been to Nelson, you've driven yep. to Nelson, yep. you're in the middle of nowhere and then your GPS comes up and goes, uh, Nelson, five kilometers. And you look around, you go, I don't fucking think so. Yeah. <laughs> you're tapping your phone, you're going, I don't. We're on a mountain. We're in a mountain. We're, we're under, we're just mountain. Yeah. Nelson, two kilometers. You're like, well, this thing's fucked, I guess. Yeah. And then you turn a corner and you come into this city nestled on the side of a, a, a mountain and you see hippies and, 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 you know, right away you're like, oh, this is a, this is a cool, weird town. And then the people were sweet and it was like a long weekend and, uh, and it's a 450-seater, and I think 350 people came out on a long weekend to see a guy that they have no, like, city, local connection to, some dickhead from Toronto that we see on TV. And they were loving, and they were supportive. And, and then that's one of my other few, very few and far between on the standing ovations. But those are the stories that, like, stay in my mind. I'm like, man, people are the best. Anybody talk shit about this town, I'm going to fight you like yeah, i just yeah. love that place dude penticton the best yeah well dude it's a, well it's also too like we talked about earlier about how you need you know those carrots when you're starting but you still need those throughout your career you know <laughs> you need it's not like you get to a certain point where you're like ah i can take a bunch of l's over the next 10 no. years it's like no you still need to know that when you take risks and put yourself out there that you get sure. rewarded if people come out so never you know, stops it I never was, stops i was happy for you man when you stepped out and started doing that because we you know we talked about it and kind of inner workings of how you go about it and how you want to do it and uh so to see you have that success with those shows i was i was proud of you man thank you bud you're a source of inspiration for for so many of us even your friends man don't uh don't don't uh, by any means diminish your role 
in this, you know, like it's uh, Marito Lopez, who I'm sure, you know, you know, he's, he talks like, he was like, dude, man, I'm in Calgary. I'm at a show and somebody, some stupid asshole says some racist thing. You know, he hears something the comic says on stage and then says some racist comment. Marito was like, dude, fuck this shit. Fuck my city. This is my, this is my hometown. This is the job I want to do where people say racist shit and like heckle some bullshit. And he's really down. He's really down and he's heading home and he's questioning comedy. He's questioning everything. And he goes, then I drive by and I see a billboard with my man's face, Muslim interrupted, Ali Hassan, March whatever. And he goes, I see a billboard. I almost drove off the goddamn road. And I go, yes, yes, this is why you do it. The racist guy and his stupid heckle at this you know, smaller room, that doesn't matter. It's about doing this, about getting the billboards, about being a guy who can do your own thing. It's called Muslim interrupted. Yeah. Who, like he just went balls out with it. And I he was telling me all this. I was like, yeah, this is a lot to put on me, man. I didn't yeah, like, yeah. thank you. He goes, no, thank you, dude. You inspire me. And you're the same guy, Trent. Every time I see Corner Brook, Fort Mac, wherever you're doing like these 900 seaters, I'm like, yes, yes. It's like, it's like you're drinking the, 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 the juice, man. You get like a, like a little hit. You're like, yes, yes. This inspires me, you know? So yeah. Thanks, Don't man. underestimate I, what you do, man. I appreciate that. I think you're right. We often feel too like you're just in your own lane, man. You're in your own bubble, doing your own thing, and you don't really step back sometimes to realize that it's you know it, it, it impacts other people and trickles into sure. other people's uh, how they're going about their career. But I always just wanted to kind of take more chances and, like you said, look outside that business model that we were all taught of. Like, okay, you're going to stay in this club circuit and this is how it's going to work. And I was like is there more to this? Like can other people, cause no one told you, no one shows you how to, no, exactly. to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So to me, I was lucky cause Jerry D was able to, you know, give me some words of wisdom and, and just let me think bigger a little bit, but uh, yeah. I hadn't have found that. And again, people who were positive to me and helped me out a lot, but it was like, you know, you need that kind of just shake up of seeing someone do it differently. And then you go, Hmm, like I, maybe I can tiptoe that way and kind of give it a, give it a spin, you know? Sure. So it's, it's some I, good stuff, man. I remember seeing like these grizzled veterans on stage, these road dogs come through Montreal and they, they were helpful to me in the sense that you see that and you go, that can't be me. Right. I can't do that. I can't. Cause I started at age 34. You started in your thirties. 30, yeah, 30, yeah. Yeah, 30. Yeah. So I started at age 34. So I kind of was like, I know what I want to do here. I, I, I like, I didn't know exactly, as you say, there's no map, but, I know what kind of at some level where I want to go with this. And I, it's like that the soft seat theaters name people come to see you and, and kind of what motivates you is like, Oh yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't be this dude. I can't be, I can't be a guy who comes into Montreal and is calling up people. I'm 58 years old calling people to couch surf right. uh, because I want to save the money that I was given for the hotel. And then, uh, you know, like, yeah. I tell you what the trick is always steal a Kleenex box from the hotel. That's that way you have one in your rental car. What? This is not, no, I can't I be part of this. I want to do this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know what? And dude, that's how it ends. But no one tells you that. No one tells you when you start off, like, Oh, by the way, you'll have no savings. You'll have no, you'll have no retirement plan whatsoever. And by the way, eventually the people who book you are not going to book you anymore because you've aged out. And uh, there's no watch. You don't get a jacket. 
There's hmm. nothing. You're just dropped off at the end of this Saw thing. You, yeah. with no employable skills whatsoever. And uh, thanks for coming out. And I just saw that happen to people. And I'm like, oh, okay. So now that I see it, now it's up to me. But if I, I didn't know, that's different. You just kind of, you know, you're living your life, whatever. But now that I've stepped back and I'm aware of it and that there's yeah. choices within this, I was like, well, now it's on me to make the choices. Absolutely, you know, man. I, it is on you. And as we were saying, we're not trained businessmen. Very few of us are. No. There's a few guys like Sugar Sammy. This guy understands business and marketing, has a degree in it. And it's almost like he fit the comedy into the business. But that's like very, very rare, you know? Yeah. But that guy early on, I got my press. I got a PR person. I got a manager. I got an agent. I got an accountant. Formed yeah. a team. Formed a team. Watching that guy also was like a huge source of inspiration. Surround yourself with great people. Yeah. He was the guy who, you know, one of my friends was 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 opening for him, and and uh, Sammy's agent told this young comic, he goes, um, "Make sure you plan vacation time." My buddy's like, "Well, I'm." A a comedian i don't need vacation time. i have vacation on monday tuesday wednesday every week and then uh, like i don't need vacation i can't afford a vacation and this guy was like it's very very important you have to take two weeks minimum a year and reset he goes even sam sugar sammy does 300 plus days a year we schedule in the vacation because you need that otherwise you'll burn out and all of this is for nothing because then yeah. you'll cancel shows and this and that so you know my buddy who's like an open micer and doing some shows that it's not useful advice at the time. It wasn't useful advice when I heard it. But then as you get older and you get to that level, you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, you yeah. got to do that. Yeah. Also, too, when you reverse engineer that advice, what he's also implying is that this is a ton of work and this is an everyday thing. So you will need to take that time off. Whereas I find I was the same way. A lot of times as a comedian, you think, I can just do what I want every day. And if I feel it, I feel it. And if I don't feel it, I don't yeah. feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think those guys are like, no, no, this is an everyday job. Yeah. And so you need, because you're going at that clip, you need to have that two week period. But if you're not going at that clip, you're like, what's he talking, what's he talking about? What I, I, got, yeah. I, I haven't been on stage in four weeks. You know, I've just been barbecuing with my buddies. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you're like, oh, okay, never mind. You don't, you, Never mind. Maybe you yeah. don't need a vacation. I think you you are uh, living in vacation mode twenty four seven. So never mind. It's not for you. You know. So uh, yeah. Speaking of it, it's not for you. You know. I heard you and Nathan in that interview, which I encourage everybody to to, to watch. You're talking about like the people who are like, I think I want to get into comedy. Yeah. And that's that's very very interesting to see. You know, I remember I was with Maz Jobrani. I don't know how well you know Maz, but I don't Maz know like him at all. No, 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 great dude. Like big big. Well, you know, been on sitcoms and travels the world. I mean, the Persian community is so supportive. This guy goes to like Oslo, and it's like fifty percent Persians there to see him and support him. Even though like, we saw him six months ago, it's Maz. You got to see. You know, yeah. Angelo Sarukas, Greek yeah, buddy of ours, yeah, same. Yeah. They just support support. So he's got this great support system, and he's but but also he was doing his PhD. He's doing his PhD in like Italian or something in philosophy, like crazy. Like it was going to be, you know, like a tough life. But he was he was telling me he goes, man. Because uh, I was sitting backstage with him once uh, after I had opened for him in every show. He goes, every show, there's always some guy, usually some Persian guy who comes in like, you know, Maz, you are very funny and I want to do the comedy also. You know, I want to also start the comedy. First of all, you say the comedy. That's already like, you got to learn the <laughs> lingo here, buddy. You got to learn the lingo. It's comedy. There's no the. Yeah, yeah, come on. 
come on, what? But you know, these guys who always, she goes, I keep meeting these guys who are like, you know, I want to do comedy, but I just worry, you know, because my, my car, my condo, you know, I don't know if I want to give up these things. And Mars will be like, like, I don't know where to start with these guys. We're backstage. It's a casual conversation. So usually I go, yeah, man, you got to weigh all those things. Good luck. He goes, but in my heart, I'm like, your condo, your car, buddy. You, you, you can fucking get rid of all these personal valuable assets. This is nothing. This is not. Yeah. He goes, dude, when I, I was doing my PhD, but I was like, I had this vision for doing comedy. He goes, I would get on at 1 a.m. at the comedy store. 1 a.m. There's like three people left. He goes, there's like great, there's like guys funnier than me are with me going, fuck this, this is bullshit. See how we get treated here? I'm not doing this. And he goes, those guys gone. Never saw them again funnier than me by a mile. But I was like, no, no, no. I got these three minutes on politics. I really got to get out. I really got to work this stuff. Yeah. And now you got some guy backstage going, yeah, because you know, I got a condo that I still got some payments on. I really like where I live. Yeah. <laughs> How do I explain 1am three minutes of material that I had to get out to three people to somebody who's valuing their, their, their these material items. And it's like, man, I don't know. It's like, well, it never ends. It's like it, that thing's come up on the podcast too a thousand times. It's it's like people think you get to a level where the struggle is you, you stop, you know, hitting doors that are locked. It's like that's the rest of your comedy career. So someone is at some point now arguing about not being able to get on an open mic here. And someone else is like, oh, I can't headline some other comedy club. Like it never ends. It's just, never just ends. that's just part of the journey of doing this thing. So yeah. if you're already upset about maybe losing your condo that you're getting comfortable in, it's like, Oh, I don't know if you don't want to embrace a certain level of discomfort from time to time, maybe this isn't for you. No, you know? for sure. One of my favorite things in this line, cause as you said, you've heard this a thousand times. Cause we all hear this. One of my favorites was I we used to see this comedian come do, do mics in, in Toronto and then, um, I think, I guess he lived in the suburbs, Mississauga or something. And somebody goes, Hey, where I haven't seen you in a while. He goes, no, 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 I'm still doing it. I'm just doing it in the, in the suburbs now, you know, downtown, you know, the parking and all that. Ah, forget it. I just, I'm doing shows at the parking, the parking is the struggle, buddy. This is not for you. You're worried about parking. Can you imagine a New York or LA comic going, yeah, I was doing well. And then, you know, they raised the parking rates and there's less spots. And so then I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. If you can, if parking prices can drive you out of your dream, maybe it wasn't your dream. No, maybe no. this wasn't the thing you were meant to do. No, back in the old day, I could find a spot within a minute. Now I got to tour around five minutes to find a spot. I mean, what is it even worth it? I mean, I, uh, it's not, okay. I, it's, I may be able to park right in front of the door, but I mean, now I got to go here. There's a public thing. It's the raining. It gets on my shirt. Um, Sebastian Maniscalco talks about working at a restaurant and timing it. So that you take the person's order, you take some orders, then you tell your, you know, your, your boys in the kitchen, can you just get, make sure the food gets them running up a block, doing a set in his waiter, your clothes, and then running back, like whatever. It's, and look at Sebastian now, look at like yeah. what that hustle translated into. Yeah. That guy was like, I'm going to be undeniable. I got to do whatever it takes, including uh, salmon or steak. That's great. And then <laughs> they were laughing about how, the couple is sitting in the restaurant and it's like, is that our waiter sprinting down the street? I don't think our steak's coming, honey. What the fuck? I guess they're out of steaks. I guess he's gone down to the grocery store to pick up another batch of T-bones there. But um, 
Well, I think I've heard musicians talk about this, and I think it is true. I think you need to be borderline obsessed with yeah. with whatever your chosen thing is. That it's like a singular focus. You will not be denied. The effort effort will always be there. You will be resilient enough to make it happen. Because if it's not there, I think that means that lets you know it's it's that's not your thing, you know. And Sarah yeah. Silverman always says when someone says, "I'm thinking about," she goes, "I'll stop you right there. You won't." Yeah. You know, like I don't want to hear your deliberations about well it's sure. just not the right time and i think you know once the kids are older it's like it's not this is not your thing no no you know, yeah yeah i don't want to be here for your spitballing and yeah, and yeah. casual brainstorming this is not it's yeah. not useful for me if i have to convince you that your dream is worthy of following <laughs> if i have to convince yeah. you this is not for you it was when sarah silverman told me that i should uh, embrace my dream that i really knew i was on to something <laughs> i knew it was my dream um, uh, buddy, I have a friend whose son, we talk about this a lot. This is one of my best friends. We talk about this because his son is really, really obsessed with, with, with technology. Kids nine, right. he's like building his own apps and stuff. And wow. now other parents are like, your son, it's like too much screen time. He's got to get out. He's got to be social and all this. And my, my buddy's a musician and he's like, dude, I, I disagree. I go, well, you can't. You have to agree that your son should get some air. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all fine. We'll go out. There will be days where we go out. No screen today. We're going to go out. We're going to go for a hike. But, but you know, you have to be obsessed to be one of the best. You think yeah. Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, you guys weren't fucking obsessed? Read their stories. They were obsessed. So if my son is obsessed, and it's not Fortnite. It's not like this one. But if it, even if it was Fortnite, like the kids who are making millions of dollars playing Fortnite, it's because they were obsessed with it. And he goes, my son's building apps. He's designing things. He's finding ways to, you know, lock me out. He tells me everything he's doing. Right. He goes, Papa, can I just stay up for another 20 minutes? I just want to do this. Look, I found this. And then I'm fine. Yeah. And other people would be like, it's bad. He's obsessed. He goes, like, I disagree, man. This yeah. is why this kid's going to be a success. Well, so, that's, a, that's a story Wayne Gretzky tells about his dad. He goes, it was never coming from my dad down to get in the backyard and do drills and all that stuff. That was all me. Like I, they had to call him in like, Wayne, come on, it's late. You're freezing. He's like, yeah, dad, I didn't want to get like, he was obsessed with like, I, yeah. I just want to be on this ice. I'm going to be going around cones. I want to just be shooting pucks. Like, you know, that's the thing that you either have or you don't. No one instills yeah. that obsession in you, you know? So I think you're right. I think you need a certain level of it. I mean, there, I'm sure there's an unhealthy amount as well, but I think if a kid finds a lane, and find something they're passionate about. I mean, I don't think it's it's upon adults to try and drive them out of that, you know, because you don't see it as you don't agree with it or you don't. Whatever, totally, man. So. And when you find out what you want to do with your life, Trent, I know you're going to be great at it too. And yeah, I think I'm hoping that's, one that's day really what I was getting uh, to. So this app thing, I want to look into that and kick some tires on that thing. Let's wrap this up. I'll ask you this question. I don't know if you heard me ask Nathan, but uh, it's it's a question that was asked to me in a job interview many years ago, and I always thought it'd be a great question to ask other people. Um, and you can take a moment to think about the answer. You don't have to fill the air with 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 with, with thought. Um, it's too much pressure on this question already, buddy. Okay. Oh god, I hate this question so much already. Can you lend me ten thousand? No. Here's the question: What is the biggest misperception people would have about you? And then what is the actual truth? Very, very interesting question. And you do have to take a moment with that. Um, 
I think, I don't know if they would have this about me, but I, I think comics in general, I think we, we we're known as pretty miserable people. We've seen that. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a great, a great example is Richard Jenny. Mm -hmm. Richard Jenny was a lively, lively motherfucker on stage, man. That guy is you know, like, I'd love to hang out with this guy, but hanging out with Richard Jenny apparently was a horrific chore. It was all like, I didn't get this. They didn't even do this. They said we we're going to do this. I didn't get this. And now they, it was all negative, negative, negative. And there's a lot of comics like that. And uh, I, I'm learning about myself on a regular basis that I, I run happy. I run like seven on 10. And the reason I bring that up is because I think it served me very well during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this already about like, having this blind faith and being positive. But I think in general, like I, I'm quick to anger. Like my son comes here right now and, and like lets out a fart and runs off. I'd be like, Hey, I'm, I'm with uncle Trent who you have not met, but you call him uncle out of some respect. Don't do that. That's a fucking idiot. Like right away. It's like that. And then it's gone. It's gone. That's something I got to work on because that affects your kids in certain ways that I don't fully appreciate right now. Very quick to anger, but then I'm like, come on, give me a hug, give me a hug, come on. It's over, it's over, you know? Yeah. But I'm very quick to anger. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a mild temper, but I don't stew in it. Uh, I think people might be surprised to find out, as Ali Hassan, that I'm quick to anger if they don't know me, if they just know my radio personality or whatever. Yeah. But I don't stew in it. And I think people who know comedians might think he's probably pretty negative. But I run, I run pretty happy, man. Even in this pandemic... I've been naturally looking at the positive. I'm not happy about this thing, but I'm like, you know, not to be corny, but people talk about like the earth healing and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We weren't going to do it. No. We weren't going to just decide one day, like, guys, let's all shut her down for a couple of weeks, huh? Yeah. Let, the, let the air clear. Never going to happen. Yeah. Greed is like uh, so powerful among people. They can't even if it destroys their own family and their own grandchildren's future, it's like, well, it was worth it. I needed, I needed that million, you know, I needed yeah, that. That car. So I've been pretty happy overall. And I, I'm kind of reluctant to say that with people who, who have family members who are dying yeah. and people who have, uh, you know, uh, they don't know where they're, where they're going to live because their landlords are like, no, no, no. Here's the way it works. No matter what happens, you always pay me. Right. That's how it goes. I'm a, I'm a landlord. That's what this is. You never, ever get a break in your whole life. But I don't know, man, I've been, I've been pretty happy. I, I take comfort in things like this. Like I said, listening to you and Nathan just brought me the biggest joy. You know, it's a time to reconnect with my kids, which I don't think I was focusing on enough. Mm -hmm. uh, a time to work on my temper, perhaps, with the children. I just took my daughters to Montreal. I did this just for laughs drive-in show. Oh, yeah. And my daughters, their cousins are in Montreal. And, like, for two weeks, they're like, should we come? Should we not come? I don't know. I'm like, hey, man, it's up to you. It's up to you. It's up to you if you want to come. I'm driving. Certainly not going to fly. I can drop you at your cousins. It's up to you. Do you feel comfortable staying at your cousins? And then my kids are, like, on their Instagram pages, like, okay, look, my cousin was on a picnic, but I don't think she's six feet apart. I think she's like more like three feet apart. There. I don't think they're, mama, mama, I don't think, I'm like, okay, you know what? Now you guys actually have to come to Montreal. You have to. You guys are just being like fucking narcs on the internet because you're not getting out. 
you need a change of scenery. You need a change of perspective. You got to see what's out there. And so I had a lovely drive with them that I wouldn't trade for anything. Watching the office, listening to this office podcast that breaks down all these episodes and watching the episode as we drove. I drove into a ditch. I shouldn't have yeah, been watching the phone the, uh, while I was a, driving. It's a good lesson for the children is to, to, yeah, to drive and keep watch the eyes it. on the. <laughs> but uh, I've actually been having a great time, man. I've been having a great time. I, 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 I hope it comes back. Um, I've, I've decided fall of next year. If it doesn't come back fall of next year, I start to panic. Right. And uh, and I drive off a cliff, but but if if we go fall of next year, I'm happy not dealing with crowds. I'm happy the pollution is less, and I'm 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 happy we all get to reset and really think about you know how much we want comedy and what we're gonna do that's gonna be different when we come back. I can't I can't imagine we're gonna come back on stage and just be like, yeah. So anyway, my penis has got a sad look to it. Like, hey man. Like, just, Let's talk about some real shit here. You know, we're all going through it. And I got a chance to do that a little bit on that at that drive in theater this weekend. It was it was good. It was important. It's important yeah, to talk yeah. about like some real stuff. It's yeah, good. it's it's been a reset, man, I think for for most people. I've kind of taken the same mentality you have of like, oh, this happened for a reason and I need to find my own purpose in it and use that time, you know, as opposed yeah. to lamenting how things used to be. It's accepting what is right now. And go, okay, well, who do I want to be going forward? And I met that in every box in my life, like, you know, 22 minutes, the podcast, my stand up, my personal relationships, like who, who am I as a person? What do I want to do? So I totally get all that, man. So, um, dude, thanks so much for this today. This was awesome. talking to you, buddy. I apologize if I ramble too much. I just no, was like, was I, you never want it to end sometimes, you know, you know, you don't want to uh, you don't want to say goodbye, you know? I'll say goodbye. I will. I, I want to say one last thing just before I head out and then I'll say bye to you. But for your listeners uh, who, who listen to this, who watch this, um, I think it's important for people to know that Trent McClellan is a fucking gem and a, a gift to this country. Dude, we, you and I have talked about since we've gone down the path a little bit about your, of, of your life. It has not been easy. You touch on some of the things with me about what your upbringing was like, and and yet you make it your mission to be a positive person who brings laughter and positivity to other people. You are a gem, and and I hope people recognize the the gift that that Trent McClellan is. Man, it's my pleasure to talk to you, man. Buddy, thanks so much, man. That means the world. Love you, and uh, you take you take care of yourself. That's it. That's my chat with Ali Hassan. I hope you enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed that one. How sweet is that guy to give me that kind of props and shout out? Uh, uncoerced to do so. That was pretty nice of him. Uh, great guy. Love catching up with him. And uh, hopefully we'll see each other again down the road here pretty soon when things get somewhere back to, to some semblance of normal. Anyway, hope you're fantastic. Hope you're having a great week. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Generators Podcast. Tell your friends about it. Give us a rating if you'd like, whatever that may be. And uh, again, take care of yourself. I hope you're being safe out there. And uh, enjoy your week. Enjoy your weekend. Take care. Bye-bye.